0: Champion! 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 Hey, hey! Hey!
1: Hey! 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 So what happens at the gathering stays at the gathering. That's the point of that. No, that's not. Hey, happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It's so good to gather together and celebrate Jesus uh, rising in victory over sin and death. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the servant leaders here in our family. And if you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this Sunday. Now, that commercial that we we just saw, have you guys seen that during March Madness? It played only like 4,300,000, however many more times, right? They played it over and over and over. And you'll notice in that a group of guys parading around, pretending to be what? Yep, no trick question. Champions, right? Until they weren't. Until they came back to their hotel rooms and put the dead flowers back in the vase. Now, were we to have followed the earliest followers of Jesus, you would have to believe that for the three years that they were with him, they would have been going around thinking about Jesus and thinking about themselves, champions, champions. This was no ordinary Jewish rabbi. This was a Jewish rabbi who the scriptures said taught with a certain sort of authority that the other Jewish rabbis didn't. I mean, this is a Jewish rabbi who told the waves to basically calm down, and they did. This was a Jewish rabbi who physically healed people, and even people would come and touch his clothing, and they were healed. This was a Jewish rabbi who even said, I'm not only going to heal you physically, but I'll heal you spiritually, and I'll forgive you of your sins. I mean, he multiplied fish and loaves, he turned water into wine, If you were one of his earliest followers, you would have been walking around for three years thinking increasingly, champion, until you didn't, and until you wondered, was it all too good to be true? Was he not really who he said he was? Could he not really do what he said he could do? And if you're a Jewish religious leader and, and Good Friday comes around, you're thinking, see, we told you so. He's no champion. You're not champions through him. Looks like you were wrong. And on Good Friday, it, it appears at least as if the earliest followers of Jesus would have taken the vase, put it back on the hotel shelf, and put the dead flowers in. So what was it? Were Jesus' followers champions? Was Jesus himself a champion? That's the question we're going to try and answer this Easter morning as we turn to the scriptures. And in order to do that, we're going to look at, we're going to kind of jump around and look at some scriptures and some things that Jesus predicted would happen. But to start, we're going to go to Luke chapter 24. So if you want, uh, it'll be up on the screen, I believe. Otherwise, turn here to 734 in the Bible under your chair. Otherwise, turn to Luke. Chapter 24, as we answer the question, were Jesus' earliest followers and was Jesus himself a champion? Luke, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 1. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how we told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, And on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now, I just want to point out a couple things from this. Even Jesus' followers didn't expect him to rise. Did you get that? From that passage, even Jesus' followers were like, maybe we were wrong. I mean, you really don't go take spices to a tomb to anoint or to prepare a a, a risen person, right? This isn't like essential oils time back here, right, where they're positive. They thought he was dead. Nobody expected nobody, as some pastors have stated. They expected to find a dead guy. That's what they expected when they went to the tomb. But then it says in verse 8, they remembered his words. Right, And and Luke 24 tells us some of the words that they remembered, but I've got to believe that there were other words too that in that moment came back into their mind. Let's look at some of the other words that maybe they would have remembered. If we go to the next slide, please. John 2. John 2, verses 18 to 19. From here on out, if you want to follow along on the slides, I'll, I'll have them all up. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Now, a little bit of the backstory of what's happening here is I'll show you some pictures of what the temple looked like in Jesus' time, but Jesus had just gotten done. This is the time that the scriptures record him rightly getting angry, and he turned over the tables in the temples. Okay, so if we put those two pictures up, that first one, Jordan, of the temple. So here's kind of the innermost part of the temple. Um, I might be able to jump that high, but do you guys see this? Actually, I'm tall, so I can reach it. You guys can laugh. That's okay. I was doing a video call the other day, and someone asked about how tall I was in comparison to Dave Lazowski, and I said half. So anyways, all right, so this is the wall, okay? This is the wall where it, kind of everything inside that wall was Jewish. Right out here, if you put go to that next picture, if you go to the next picture, please, Jordan. Yeah, you see the wall? I can't reach it. I can't jump that high. 41 but that wall up there that's little that was outside of that was the court of the gentiles What was happening is you had to exchange money in order to bring sacrifices in order to temporarily kind of deal with sin But they were extorting people with the prices that they would charge They were filling that court of the gentiles so that the people who weren't jewish couldn't even come to the temple to meet with god That's why jesus gets so mad But look at the temple and all of this right This is an impressive structure. I think I read um, somewhere that one of the stones was like a ton. And Jesus says the words, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. Now, I, I don't care what kind of builder or what kind of skills we have. That's an awfully ambitious building project, right? If he's talking about this, destroy this temple, and I'll build it again in three days. Let's go to Luke chapter 21, please. This is them talking about the temple. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they're about to take place? So on the heels, right before this passage, Jesus is mourning that the people, the Jewish people, he was Jewish, that he came for. They really rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with him. His disciples are kind of like, wow, look at the beauty of this temple. This building is amazing. And Jesus is like, again, not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Translation, the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be destroyed. And regarding when this is going to take place, the next slide, please. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. This is important to know. Okay, this is in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which biblical scholars think was written in the early 60 A.D. So 60 to 62 A.D., here's what's important. What he's predicting has not happened yet. Does anything know something kind of historic that happened in AD 70, even if you're just a historical scholar? The Romans came, and guess what they did? They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple. There was this bloody, savage campaign where thousands of Jewish people lost their lives. If you put up this next slide, please. So you guys all know what that is. Cathedral of Notre Dame. So if people felt something when they saw this image, multiply that by like a hundred. The temple was the epicenter of the Jewish faith and life. You know the saying, if you got a problem with me, you got a problem with, or you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me, like amongst friends or family? The Jewish people would be like, if you got a problem with a temple, you got a problem with me. Like, this was everything to their faith. This was the place that housed the very presence of God. This was the place where you would go if you were a Jewish person to meet to, to fellowship, to relate with God. At least that was the intent. That was the intent. And the Jewish historian Josephus, he describes what actually happens, what Jesus actually predicted before it happened. In the year 66 AD, the Jews of Judea rebelled against their Roman masters. In response, the emperor Nero dispatched an army under the generalship of Vespasian to restore order. By the year 68, resistance in the northern part of the province had been eradicated and the Romans turned their full attention to the subjugation of Jerusalem. The Roman legion surrounded the city and began to slowly squeeze the life out of the Jewish stronghold. By the year 70, the attackers had breached Jerusalem's outer walls and began a systematic ransacking of the city. The assault culminated in the burning and destruction of the temple that served as the center of Judaism. We had just gotten, for those of you who have been with us, we've just been got, gotten done going through Lamentations where the Jewish people were taken off to Babylon. where The temple was destroyed. This is it all over again, right? This time by Roman rule. But here's the deal. This time the temple would not be rebuilt. Get that. This time the temple would not be rebuilt. What, what would that mean for the Jewish faith and life, though? I mean, if this is the place that you go to meet with God, to fellowship with God, to relate to God, what would happen? How would that work? Let's look again to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Then the Jews demanded of him. We've read this already. What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied like we would have. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You see what's going on here. The temple houses the presence of God. Now, who houses the temple of God according to Jesus? Jesus. So now where would you go to meet with, to relate to, to fellowship with God? Who would you go to? Jesus. You catch that? This is, this is like amazing stuff. This is big stuff that Jesus is talking about here. And now look at Matthew chapter 12, what he says about himself. Next slide, please. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. One greater than any physical structure that houses the presence of God. One greater than any building, no matter how cool or well or beautifully it's adorned. One greater than the temple is here. And here's how someone else, John Piper, a pastor and author, interprets that, what he says here. The material temple that would be destroyed, Jesus builds again in three days in the sense that He now replaces... The temple and becomes the new place where everyone may meet God and fellowship with God. Next, please. Remember what he said in Matthew 12:6. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And he meant himself. Jesus becomes the place, the person where we meet with God. And yet, if it just stops there, we have a little bit of a problem because is Jesus around anymore? He's not. So I want to tell you one more slide where Jesus takes it even a step further. You've got the material temple, then you've got Jesus is the temple, and then I want to show you this next slide. Consequently, talking to followers of Jesus in Ephesus, consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You see what's going on here? Jesus isn't here anymore physically, but who is? You, me, us, His followers. We're the people who, in essence, house the presence of God and the Holy Spirit and show others what Jesus is like and point others to Him now. And a couple things that that I, that we can't miss that are really important. Did you catch that Jesus predicted what was going to happen to the physical temple before he ha- before it happened? Did you catch that? If it was written, which historical biblical scholars think that the book of Luke was written A.D. sixty to sixty two, that's before 8070 when this happened. If that are, if that's true, if that's true might we not want to consider other things that Jesus said? Like he was the son of God. Like he could forgive our sins. Like he rose from the grave. This should give us great confidence, family, that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus did what he said he did. He predicted what would happen to the physical temple and then he imbibed it with new meaning with Him being the temple. Second, though, God is amazing. God is amazing. Through Jesus being raised and beating sin and death, He becomes the new place where people can meet with and fellowship and relate to God. This is why Jesus was so peeved in John 2, because people were trying to do that who weren't Jewish, and they were extorting their money, doing all these things, and weren't allowing them to come to the place where they were supposed to meet with God. You know, it made me think if we put that next image back up, Jordan, they have been trying to raise money for the cathedral for lots and lots of years. No one was giving to it. A fire happens, and I think they've raised at least a billion dollars is what I heard, and they, they think that might not even be enough. And I'm not questioning whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying they've raised it. What's interesting, though, is they haven't raised it, I don't think primarily because it's a place to meet to God. They've raised it because it's a historical landmark that is valued by 30,000 visitors a day, I think. Here's where I'm going with that. If we look at that verse in Ephesians, who does God say now houses the presence of God? We do. His followers. Jesus says God's not a building he, he can't be contained to a building. He can't even be contained to a one-hour gathering. And you're like, you're stupid. We're sitting at a one-hour gathering. Well, I'm not stupid. What I'm saying is he's bigger than all of that, right? And the only reason that we gather like this or gather outside or, or whatever is so that we can point each other to Jesus, to the one who died, to the one who rose, to the one who will come back again through Jesus Christ. God offers to meet you and he offers to meet me. To, to fellowship with us. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. To relate to us. And to use us to show the world what he's like. Like, that's amazing. And I can give you proofs and I, I can give you things like that. But at least personally, what I often think is the most powerful is hearing from how Jesus is and has changed someone's life. And so at this point, I'd like to welcome up a brother in our family, Richard Rasmur. Give him a warm welcome, please. He's going to share a little bit of his story. He, he said I didn't say there was going to be this many people. That's okay. That's all right. I'll you this one. So Richard, thanks for being with us this morning and be willing to share kind of how, how Jesus is has and is changing your life, Um, share a little bit about, you know, before connecting with us here in this family, uh, share, like, kind of, what did it look like for you to follow Jesus, and what was your relationship with him like?
0: Number one. one. There we go. Uh, When I came to Kettlebrook, uh, going to Sunday morning gatherings were something normal uh, for me since I was a child. I had some intentions in growing in my faith with Jesus, but not so much being involved with the church. But mainly, uh, mainly wanted to be a family that went to Sunday morning gatherings uh, together, just like I did growing up. But to be honest, I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. I never had any experience with his love for me. All I knew is that he died for my sins, but it wasn't personal to me. All serving the Lord meant with me, uh, with me was gathering on Sundays for an hour. Yeah, thanks,
1: Richard. How how have have you connected and you know engaged? How has God been growing you? How have you seen Jesus change you in your following of Him?
0: Um, how I saw myself beginning to grow and following Jesus was when I started to do setup for Sunday services. At first, it was just I was just there to help out when they needed an extra hand. I wasn't fond of giving up my time. Weekends were my days of rest, and I treasured that time but soon I found myself changed and wanted to serve the gatherings, which led to setting up for the gatherings once a month. I developed friendships with other fellow Kellell brokers who became more than friends and became family. And through those relationships, Jesus was growing me to care about those people, to learn about him for those people, to pray for those people through relationships with other followers of Jesus. I even began to read the Bible to learn about God and Jesus. I even gave I even gave it even gave me the courage to begin to pray out loud. I began began to pray during the work day, as I'm working. I even began to pray for people throughout the week and that Jesus would encourage them. If you would have have talked to me 3 to 4 years ago, and told me that Jesus would give me the desire to read the Bible and to grow my relationship with him and pray out loud to grow my relationship with him, give up my time to serve him and care enough about people to where I would pray for them during the week as God brought them to mind. I would have thought you were crazy. My Kettlebrook family played a big part in my relationship with Jesus. From there, I also got involved with MC, Missional Community, and then into my small triad group. Being part, part of these groups really helped me start following and trusting in the Lord even more. I'm lucky uh, that those friendships blossomed into family. It also grew me to be a husband who serves his wife and as well as a dad who loves his kids.
1: I don't want you to miss kind of... Richard had a lot of cool things to say there, but through relationship with Jesus and that becoming personal, it, it changed the, kind of the posture of his heart to love and serve others. You guys caught that, right? Like that's, you were not sitting in the ready mix truck three years ago praying, right? No. no. I, mean, I mean, this is really cool stuff. Um, what do you feel like God is, kind of how is God growing your following of him now,
0: Richard? Uh, let's see. There are number of ways that God currently is growing me. The one thing that comes up to the top of my head is how God listens and answers my prayers. Recently, I've had a couple situations where I had, really had to trust God. Um, they were making me anxious and really stressed out. I prayed in my truck for God to help me. Even everything I was going through, I told him I really needed his help. Within two hours... One of those things that I was stressed, that stressing was stressing me out, was still unresolved, but he answered another prayer in a big way. I'm not saying God's a genie um, who just does what we ask, but I realize more and more that he loves me and likes, he loves me like a good dad likes to give good gifts to his kids. God is awesome, and I'm proud to have him as my father and I his child.
1: I would encourage you guys to talk to Richard afterwards. Um, Being in relationship with him, it's been so cool to kind of have a front row seat of what God is doing in his life, and God is truly changing him, and it's pretty amazing. I want to talk about what we've talked about and make it practical, okay? So I'm going to attempt to draw, which might be a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, you know, Easter is about Jesus being the champion, so we're not going to play it again, but do you remember that, that video? They're walking around saying, champion, champion, Jesus, Easter is about Jesus being the champion because he beat sin, he bit broken ice, he beat death. The question is, is he your champion? Is he your champion? And what do I mean by that is when we look at our lives, we all give ourselves predominantly to things. We give our time, we give our energy, we give our resources to something. What is most important to you? How would we answer that question? Would we answer Jesus or would we not? And my contention is, Jesus is the best champion, and we were actually created for him to be our champion. Follow along with me. So in the beginning, we were created in God's image, and God's likeness. And what that means is we were able to show each other what God was like through rightly relating to God, and then we were able to show the world what God is like. He, he was intended and was our champion. We could champion his character. We could champion his causes. We were like him. But then not too long after that, humanity decided they wanted to be their own champion. And they stopped championing God to each other. They stopped championing God to the world. And their relationship with God was broken. It's at that point that they needed a new champion to come on the scene. They needed a champion outside themselves to rescue them and to redeem them. And in Easter, what we celebrate is Jesus is that champion. That through faith in Jesus Christ, the scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us, From our sins. In Easter we celebrate that through faith in Jesus Christ. We can become. These are crowns in case you can't tell. Sons and daughters of the king. We can become champions of his. Where now we once again can have right relationship with God. We can champion who God is to each other and to the world. Through Jesus Christ. We can be eternal champions, where we come into relationship with him, where our sins are forgiven, where he gives us a new heart, a new life and calls us sons and daughters. The question is, is he your eternal champion? And what I mean by that is not even that you like Richard talked about. You know, I I believe that that God was God, I guess I believed he died for my sins, but it wasn't personal. It's almost like if you picture driving a car, I'm in the driver's sight. For Jesus to become our champion, it's like we, we go to the passenger seat. He's the driver. He's the leader. And we follow his loving leadership, submit our lives to him. We believe in him. He's our eternal champion. But a lot of times what we think is we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to avoid that. We have to. It's a whole bunch of lists of rules and to-dos and don'ts. But that's more shaped by our tradition than it is by Scripture. The Scriptures say that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if we submit our lives to him, if he becomes the Lord and leader of our life, we're eternal champions through God. But here's what's cool. Jesus was a different kind of champion. If you think about kings or leaders in the world, usually the people who are under them serve to benefit them, right? (laughs) They say jump and we say how high. Jesus was not that way. As Jessica mentioned, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He was a champion of, this is a towel, even though you can't tell that, who would stoop down, kneel down, and this champion was a servant leader who washed the feet of his followers, who said that we were to be servant leaders in the world. He wasn't just the eternal champion. He was the champion of every day where... (laughs) When we take his posture, when we take his attitude, we can love and serve each other and love and serve the least of these. And then we show who our champion is, Jesus, not by being high and mighty, but by being low and servants. We're servant leaders. We're servant champions of Christ in the world, showing what God is like. But not only that, then Jesus says, what you've experienced I want not just to be about you. The Jewish people made it just about them. He says, no, Jesus is a champion for everyone. I want through relationship with Jesus, Him to change your heart, God says, so that you can take that, go out into the world, love and serve people with the love and service of Jesus through being humble servants and take that to everyone, whether it be Sally and Chad, Africa, or us right here in Washington County. He's a champion intended to be for everyone. (laughs) Jesus is a champion of eternity. He's a champion of every day. He's a champion for everyone. We keep coming back to, is he your champion? Here's the deal. We all have champions. We all have things that we make most important in our life. And if it's not Jesus, maybe it's work. This is what we pour our life into. This is where our time, our energy, devotion goes. This is what's most important to us. Maybe it's wealth. Right? This drives our life. This drives our heart. This is what our life revolves around. This is our kind of pragmatic champion. Maybe it's our worth. And oftentimes if it's our worth, it's defined by how others view us, not how God views us. Maybe it's school or academics or performance that way. That's our champion. That's what drives our life. Maybe it's sports. Now, if there were ever a good, I got to make a joke. If there were ever a good time for sports to be your champion, it's with Yelich right now and the Terry's on, right? Do not put up a poster. I told my kids, I am not going to a game and saying, if you hit a home run, you get a dog because I don't want a dog. But sometimes we make either playing, participating, even following sports, our champion, it drives our life. Maybe it's status and how others view us. We have to look good in other people's eyes. We have to be better and them worse. Maybe it's this, either physically or data-wise, digitally. Maybe it's even, like so many Jewish people, this, which seems like an oxymoron. It's Just lots of good things we do to earn God's favor. When he says, it would never be enough, but you don't have to. You just have to accept the free gift I offer you in Jesus Christ. See, family, when we come together and celebrate Easter, the reason it's such a big deal is because through Jesus Christ, we can be eternal champions where we live with him forever, where our sins are forgiven, where his dearly loved sons and daughters are Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be everyday champions where we show the world what Jesus is like, not by being high and mighty, but by being servant leaders who love our spouses, our kids, each other, in a way that the world says, why do you do that? And we can be champions to show and tell Jesus to everyone so that they can experience the same thing as us. This is what Easter is all about. This is some of what it means when we say Christ is risen. So as the music worship team comes back up and I pray, I'll just leave you with one question. Is Jesus your champion? Is Jesus your champion? And if not, why not? Sometimes I I talk to a lot of people and, and they would say no and they would say, because people like you are hypocrites. And I get where they're coming from. And I would say guilty as charged. I'm a hypocrite sometimes. But Jesus never was. Is Jesus your champion? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Easter. Thank you that um, when we say Christ is risen, it's such a big deal because it's totally centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would meet our hearts where they need to be met. And I pray if there are those here who this is new information or or, or you are not their champion, I pray that they would think well. I pray that they would uh, find someone who lives this out and learn from them. I pray that they would discuss and dialogue with others. Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the eternal champion. He's the everyday champion. He's the champion for everyone, even all those gathered here this morning.